Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 31, verses 14 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from amongst his people. Six days shall work, to be, shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. What's up, church? How are we doing this morning? This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of work. We're a society that is fueled by work. But is work what we were created for? It is a good thing. It is a blessing to be able to work, to be able to provide for yourself, to be able to provide for the people around you, to be able to provide for your uh, or your loved ones, and something that we say a lot, especially um, um, in our worship around our, um, our offering and uh, our collection, is that we are a very blessed uh, congregation. We are a very blessed country, and a lot of that has to do with the blessing of, of, of the work that we get to do and the ways that we are, we are provided for and we are able to provide for others. We need to work in, in, our, in our country, but work is not our purpose. If work is our identity, we will never enjoy the fruits of our, of our labor. There has to be a balance between life and work, and this is something that's become a very big conversation in recent years. Um, in the secular world, there's a very large emphasis right now on, on the good work-life uh, good uh, uh, work-life balance, what it looks like to have a healthy, uh, a healthy workspace, but also to have a good boundaries in, in your life, um, especially after, um, after the uh, pandemic. This is something that's been very uh, highlighted in, in our culture, but this concept of a good work-life balance is not new. But the popular uh, work-life uh, balance I, uh, ideas that are circulating right now is, um, is, is the world will say that you should set boundaries on when you'll answer your emails, right? Having a good work-life balance, having spaces in your life where you will work and spaces in your life where you won't work. Um, you'll, uh, you'll see companies offer an increased opportunity for hybrid work. You can work in person, you can, you can work at home, allowing more opportunities to have a good work-life balance. You'll see some companies going completely remote. Uh, you can do all, all of your work in your own space, so it's up to you, you know, to make sure that you have a good work-life balance. Balance, and you'll and you'll see other larger companies go the opposite direction. They'll say you have to work in person, but those companies will get more creative with some of the ways uh, that they give their employees um, uh, leisure time, and they 
try to instill community in, in the workplace. In our secular world right now, it's very popular to care about the good work-life balance. And on the surface, that's, that's a good thing. But the concept of the work-life balance is not new. Or is our culture's motivation to care about a good work-life balance always, always right? As Christians, rest from work is something that God models for us. It's something that he instructs for us. And it's, as we'll see this morning, it's something that he provides for us as well. Are we making the most of the rest that God has given us? Previously in the year, we looked at some key biblical words and what that means for our identity as God's people. And uh, uh, as a church, we've talked about some of the different ways that the cultural language, the words that our culture is using, might have affected some of the ways that we care about some of the things that God is calling us to care about, like justice and love and truth. Last week, we, we uh, are taking a different approach, taking a broader look at Scripture, and not just talking about biblical words, but biblical ideas, caring about biblical concepts that God is calling us into and maybe how some of the common approaches in our culture might have influenced how we are caring about these biblical themes. Um, last, week, uh, last week we talked about our covenant relationship with God, and this week we'll consider the biblical theme of Sabbath. Um, uh, uh, this uh, scriptural um, study that we're looking at uh, uh, starts in Second Timothy chapter uh, chapter uh, three verse one, and this was read last week. But I want to uh, remind us again what we're trying to do. Second uh, Timothy three verse one says this: "But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy." heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is the very important thing that we're focusing on, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So one of the things that we're seeing happen right now in our culture is that you'll see some some ideas and some concepts floating around our our world that sound pretty biblical. That like, hey, I, I you know that kind of sounds like what we're talking about at church. But just because it has the appearance of godliness does not mean that it is grounded in the truth. As a church, as God's people, we need to be able to tell the difference, and that's true for for everything that you are consuming. We need to be able to know what is true, what's of of the world and what's of God, but especially when it comes to the biblical themes that instruct how you and I see our relationship with God, especially when it comes to the things that deal with how we relate to our Creator, we need to know for certain that we are looking at our Father. Yes, the world cares about this work-life balance. But what the world really cares about, as we talked about last week, is self. And the selfish endeavors are going to lead people to care about self and to do 
seemingly good things for selfish reasons. You were not created for self. You were not created for self-improvement or, or being the best you that you can be. You were created for a relationship with God. And one of the ways that we care about that is by focusing on Sabbath, something that he calls us into many times in Scripture. God's people have long, have long been given opportunities to rest and have long been asked to find spaces in, in, their, in, in their life to, to Sabbath if we are God's set-apart, if we are God's holy people, are we caring about Sabbath how we should? As long as creation has existed, God has had some very important things to say regarding work uh, uh, and especially regarding how to rest. And one in particular is, uh, uh, one thing he has to say in particular is found in the law given to M Moses. We're going to be a couple of different places this morning, if you'll change the slide back there. Um, a couple of different places this morning as we think about Sabbath. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 31. Later, we'll be in uh, Genesis 3 and 4, and we'll close in Ecclesiastes. And what we're going to read this morning is some very uh, harsh, very serious instruction about what God is calling his people for when it comes to Sabbath. Sabbath is a very serious issue for God's people in the life of the Old Testament, and Jesus has a lot to say about Sabbath in the New Testament. We are not going to get to what Jesus has to say about Sabbath this morning, but we need to know that Sabbath with God, godly rest, is still a big concern for God's, for God's people. But to help us get this conversation started, I, I want to go back to uh, to the early places where we see God's instruction about Sabbath. This is what God has to say in Exodus chapter 31. Uh, uh, a portion of this was read earlier, but I want to go back to verse 13. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So the very first thing that we see about Sabbath here in this instruction, so this is uh, a portion of God giving the, the Mosaic law to, uh, to the people of Israel. God is speaking to Moses, and these laws are being, being authored on tablets of stone. God, uh, Moses is going to take this law to the people. This is how God's people are to live. And this is one of the last things that God says in that law. And the first thing that he says about Sabbath here in chapter 31 is he says, above all, 
above all other things that I have said. Above all what? What what is he talking about? In the immediate chapters that precede this in Exodus, we see an outline of of, of what Israelite worship is supposed to look like. We see instructions on the oils and the priests and the type of offerings that people are, are to do. Above all of the worship, above everything that you are to do, above all of the sacred, holy things, above all else, keep my Sabbath. Above everything else that I've told you, people of Israel care about Sabbath. Because more important than anything else that God's people are going to do, any of the, of the technical things that, that God's people are going to care about, he says, more than any worship that you will give me, give me Sabbath. Give me rest. More important than any behavior or any lifestyle that the Israelites are going to model, give God Sabbath. You see, Sabbath is a covenant practice. We talked a lot about covenant last week um, and in God's covenant with Abraham in uh, Genesis 12 and Genesis chapter 15 and 17. In God's covenant with Abraham, he's setting in place this, this covenant relationship between him and God's people. And him passing through the animals, him, him uh uh, uh, adding this covenant, cutting this covenant into place is a sign for all generations. And we see these types of covenant signs in different places in Scripture. We see circumcision as a sign of the covenant. In the New Testament, we see the baby in Luke chapter 2 lying in a manger in swaddling clothes. This is a sign unto you. These signs of the covenant relationship come up time and time again in Scripture. And one of the ones that God's people have, one of the signs that we participated in that that show that we are God's people is Sabbath. Sabbath is a sign that we are in covenant with God. When we observe Sabbath, when we observe godly rest, we are declaring that it's God who sustains us, as we read in Exodus 31. God has a very firm intention for what rest is supposed to look like, and even what work is supposed to look like, as he outlines in in his law, because work and rest is a part of God's identity. At the end of, of, of our reading in Exodus 31, the reason that we rest is because when God worked, when God created God, God rested. And when we participate in that act, when we do that sign, we are declaring our covenant relationship with God. Throughout the Old Testament, we have this long history with Sabbath, with work, and with rest. And in fact, our history goes back further than when God makes Sabbath a part of the covenant. It actually goes back long before, just after creation, when God creates in six days and he rests on the seventh day, we see what happens when God's people, when humanity doesn't care about work and rest in the way they should. When man, when Adam and Eve sin, when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit that they're told they're not supposed to do, humanity's relationship with work changes. 
the relationship that God's people have with the work that they are supposed to do changes. Here, here's what I mean. If, if, if you look at the result of the fall in Genesis chapter 3 and you see the punishments that are given to the serpent and, uh, and to the woman and, and to the man, one of the final punishments that's given is that the ground with which they are to work is now cursed. The ground that man is going to work is now, is now cursed. Now that this all out has occurred, now that sin has entered the hearts of man, the ground is not going to work in the way that it once did. Humanity will still have to work in order to eat, but the man shall also, this is the second part of that punishment, not only is the ground cursed, but man is going to return to the ground. And we see this uprising of the thistles and the thorns, and, and the ground that man is going to work in order to provide and get food, it's going to be hard. There's going to be weeds that come up that make work difficult. These thistles and thorns and weeds that m m make work hard, those are opponents to the order of God. When sin has entered the world, these, these hard work problems start to crop up for God's, for God's people. That's the punishment, is that work has now become hard. The problem is that over time, Anne starts to enjoy how hard work has become. Man starts to find their identity in how good they are at overcoming the weeds. That's not what man was created for. Almost immediately after the, the curses that are given in Genesis chapter 3, and uh, at least in the biblical narrative, immediately after, we see the result of somebody who is tied to, to their work, who, who has cultivated an identity and someone who is really good at working. In Genesis chapter 4, we're introduced to the two people who come after Adam and Eve. Their two sons, Cain and Abel. And what's the only thing that the Bible tells us about Cain and Abel? When we are introduced to Cain and Abel, the only thing that we're told about them is what? We're told about their occupation. We're told what they do for a living. <laughs> Abel is a keeper of sheep, and Cain is described as a worker of the ground. Almost immediately after the garden, people become to be identified in how they overcome the weeds, how, how they provide. Now remember, hard work is a punishment. It's not a promise. Hard work is the punishment. But you know what happens next. Abel and Cain have offerings that they give to God, and God regards Abel's offering higher than he regards Cain's. And you know what, you probably know what Cain does next. Cain goes to speak to Abel, his brother, out in the field, and he kills him. He kills his brother. Now, we don't know the exact motivation for Cain's anger. A, a lot of people have tried to guess. Maybe he was jealous of of his brother. Maybe he was insecure in, in, in his own work. Um, maybe he was just a lazy worker and he was taking it out on, on his brother. We don't really know why Cain got so angry. But we do know 
that Cain's identity is tied up in his ability to work. Cain's identity is tied up in his ability to work. And God tells him, right before he kills his brother, he says, if you are going to do well, Cain, if, if you will do well, you will rule over the sin that is crouching at your door. How can Cain expect to rule over sin if, as we've seen, he can't even rule over the weeds? And much like the really hard reality that work is now hard for mankind, sin consumes Cain, and he kills his brother for it, all because of hard work. And the truth is seen in the punishment that God has for Cain. This is found in Genesis 4, verse 12. The punishment that God has for Cain is that the ground will no longer yield you its strength. That's God's punishment for Cain. God removes Cain's ability to work. Because Cain lost himself in his work, he has now lost his ability to work. If you can't work well, what God's telling Cain, if you can't work well, if you cannot be mindful over the frustrations and anger that come from work without hurting your own family, Cain killed his brother. Without hurting your own family, if you cannot work while still caring about your family, then you do not get to enjoy the fruits of that labor. That's God's punishment for Cain. And on through the rest of Scripture, we continue to see people who have fallen victim to being consumed by their work. You see people whose identities are consumed by their status, by their place in work. And we see this very vividly in, in the first kings of Israel. We see Saul elevated to this very important, very important status as, as king. And the mistakes that Saul makes are to preserve that identity, to to confirm that he's as, as important as people have said he is. Saul's identity as, as a king is what leads to his, his downfall. You see the same thing with King David. His, his self-importance as king, he has a perversion of identity because he's so important. He has so much authority that he should be able to get what he wants. Once again, the folly of work harms another person. And King David's son, Solomon, has the same thing happen to him. He becomes consumed with kingly passions. Despite gifts of great wisdom, the identity of someone who works, whether it's as a king or as a shepherd or as a farmer, when your identity is caught up in your work, when God's people become identified by their work, they forget what God has done for them. Maybe this is one of the reasons why throughout Scripture, God commands his people to observe Sabbath. God commands his people to rest from their work. Yes, God invites his people into rest, but by commanding it, what he's trying to do is he's trying to protect his people from what happens when work consumes. When you get so caught up in admiring how good you are, at overcoming the weeds in your life. What I hope we're seeing together this morning is that Sabbath was a serious issue for God's people, but those same Sabbath ideals to be 
a godly person still means to care about rest. And not just a good work-life balance, but true godly rest. Because if we misunderstand Sabbath, as we read in Exodus 31, if we misunderstand Sabbath, it will lead to our lives profaning the name of God. Our world has alternatives to what it looks like to to rest and, and work. Our world has ideas about what it could look like to, to have a good work-life balance, but God's people aren't just going to have a good work-life balance. God's people are going to care about godly rest because we were not created for work. We were not created for hard work. We were not created for self. We were created for communion with God, like we talked about last week. And God does desire to provide for us fruit from our labors. But God does not desire us to be slaves to our work. You understand that? God does not desire for us to be slaves of the things that provide for us. God desires to provide for us. And he wants us to rest as a sign that we understand he does. We see how serious an issue that this is, that this still can be. If we don't have a good work-life balance, if we become consumed by work, well then our lives will be consumed by selfish passions. But what about the work-life balance efforts that the world has? How, how is that not enough? How does godly rest differ from maybe secular, uh, some of the secular all alternatives. Regular Sabbath is God-focused, and it looks like a number of things. It looks like gathering together on a weekly basis, perhaps, to acknowledge that our Lord is God. Maybe it looks like, and this is something I am terrible at, it m- means turning off the show or the music, or the podcast, and just being still to be with God, allowing your mind to think about absolutely nothing. Maybe Sabbath, if you're married, maybe it could mean dedicating a time that you and your spouse go to God together, maybe in scripture, or maybe in prayer. If you have kids, maybe Sabbath means making it a habitual priority to point your family to God at different markers in your day. Maybe it's at a meal or in the car or before bed or in the morning. Caring about Sabbath, making Sabbath a priority in our lives is not kicking off your shoes at the end of a hard day of work and thinking about all the work that you've done and saying, I've earned this rest. I've, I've earned this break. I had a hard day at work. I've, I've earned this relaxation. Because that's the mindset of the world. Look at what all I've done today and look at how I can now, I can now rest. Who are we kidding by telling ourselves that we have earned anything? Caring about Sabbath is the regular remembrance 
that God has given us everything that we have and do. And when we Sabbath, when we rest on a regular basis in our days as a family, on your own, or, or maybe as a church, we are not coming together and saying, look at everything that we've done. We're saying, look at everything that God is doing in us. That's the difference between the worldly, that's the difference between the worldly rest and godly Sabbath. The more that we find our identity in our work, the less we will realize how great of a blessing that the work that we have is from God. Maybe this is why in Ecclesiastes, the preacher has a great deal to say about the vanity of work. These are just some of the things that Ecclesiastes says about work. What gain has the worker from his toil? Chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 4, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son nor brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil, to all of his work. For his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. To be consumed with work, as, we, as I just read in Ecclesiastes 4, to be consumed with work so much so that the people who you would be providing for, you do not get to enjoy the fruits with those people, work has become your identity. Work has consumed you. And if work has consumed you, then we are victim to some of the very same pitfalls that Cain found himself in with sin crouching at the door because he became consumed by work. God does not desire for us to be good at hard work. God desires for us to trust in him and to rely on him. Because of Jesus, we have us pointing to the eternal gift of rest that we have in, in, in the new heaven and the new earth where we will have rest from our work, we will have rest from our guilt, we will have rest from our shame, we will find rest for our souls. But I said something earlier this morning, and to help us close, I, I would like to say it again as a, as a final reminder about Sabbath and rest and work. If our identity is found in what we do, if your identity is in the work that you are able to do, we will not know what God has done for us. If our identity is found in what we do, we will not know what God has done for us. This is one of the, this is the reason why God instructs his people to care about habitual Sabbath in the Mosaic Law. And you see the people instantly forget how important that responsibility is. When Jesus comes and gives us a new covenant, a new means of receiving his, his Father's grace, Sabbath doesn't go away. But because of the Spirit, Sabbath becomes something new. 
It becomes an opportunity for you and the different spaces of your life, whether it's in your family or on your own or in your work, in the different spaces of your life to look back at what God has done and say this is good. There's going to be a temptation in, in your life, in your endeavors, to look at what you are able to do, to look at how good you are at overcoming the weeds. But don't forget that it was God who led the people out of Egyptian slavery. It was God who sent his son so that we could be freed from our bondage of sin. It is God who brings about the blessings with which you are able to enjoy. If you have not become a Christian this morning and you have not received the gift that Jesus has freely given you of rest for your soul, you really need that. Because of the sins that are in our life, because of the decisions that we have made, our souls are apart from our Creator, and that is not what He created us for. You cannot work your way out of the state that we are in. If you need to give your life to Jesus for the very first time and receive forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we would love to help you do that. If you are baptized and you are a Christian and lately you have felt very burdened by your work, you felt burdened by your responsibilities, and you felt overcome by the responsibility and the identity and the importance that you have found yourself in, it's time for you to rest. And it's time for you to look at the good things in your life and say, wow, this too is from God. And if you have sin in your life and that needs to be confessed so that you can appreciate what God has done for you, we would love to pray with you. If you have any need, whether it's in person or if you're joining us on Facebook, if you want to make it known right now or let one of the elders or the ministers know later this week, hesitate no longer to give God the importance in your life that he demands. Sabbath is something we do as a community, and we practice it as, as a church at our appointed times. But true godly rest is something that needs to be a part of your, your day-to-day. And when we find rest how God intends, then we can start to enjoy the eternity that we have now and the eternity that we're looking for one day in heaven. If you have any, any aid this morning, if you need to give your life to Jesus or you need the prayers of the church, you need rest. We would love to help you do that. If you have a need, won't you make it known right now as we stand and sing?